0: listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Um, okay, lots of text. Um, technically, we were supposed to go 16 all the way through half of 17, and so um, <laughs> I, we shortened the reading for, for, that, for that sake. But um, there's essentially, because there's a lot going on here, there's essentially three things that I just want us to, to, to wrap our head around, and we'll walk through them together um, with what's going on. So let's read the first three verses. This is what it says. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So, um, (laughs) we are just a couple of short chapters since the crossing of the Red Sea. And even before that, we're Just a couple of short chapters, really just a month, a month away from the Lord delivering the people of Israel from the angel of death in the Passover. And so it's been a busy month for Israel, right? A lot has happened Plagues have come upon the nation of Egypt. They've been released, set free in the wake of the death of the firstborns of Egypt. And now they have passed through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, to the other side of the Red Sea, and now they find themselves in this wilderness and in all of it. The Lord has been present with them visibly, right, in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's been a busy month for the nation of Israel. And in spite of the Lord's presence with them throughout this crazy month, the people of God are quick to forget that with God's presence comes God's provision, that God's going to provide for them, that He's with them, that He's keeping them, that He's protecting them, right? They've clearly forgotten that. And so what do they do? They, they grumble against Moses and Aaron. They find themselves in this, this situation, which, to be fair, is a dire one. You have a whole host, a whole nation walking out into a wilderness that is ill-equipped to prepare for their physical needs, right? This is an, an agrarian people. They're used to growing their crops, gathering them, storing them up for the season when it's not harvest season, right? They're, they're, they're used to being able to look into their pantry. And see, ample provision for not just today, but for the next day, and the next day, and the next day after that. And yet here they find themselves in a place where they have no provision for the the future. Clearly they've got some for the next couple of days, you know, maybe for the next couple of weeks even, but it's finite, and they can feel it. They can feel it. And so all of a sudden, for the people of Israel, even though it's only been a month, all of a sudden, the people of Israel get very nostalgic. Right? We always see the past with a little bit of rose-colored glasses. And they say, would would that we had died in the land of Egypt. At least there we sat by the meat pots and we had our fill of bread. But now, after all of this, after everything that the Lord has done, we've just been brought out here to be killed in the desert. Uh, If you're anything like me, uh, in in your reading of the Old Testament, it's very easy. It's very easy to get frustrated with the Israelite people. Um, It's very easy to imagine myself in the position of God and going, you know what, no. I'm not going to listen to that. And yet, in, it's in these moments that I find myself to be so much like the Israelites. In that the Lord has made provision for us, the Lord has protected us. We can, we're we're going to talk specifically about the ways that He's done that for us. In fact, we talked about it last week, even, in what the Lord has accomplished for us on the cross, through His life, death, resurrection, and how we've been uniquely united to it in our baptism. And yet, in spite of that great, grand narrative, that backdrop of my life that is saturated with God's grace and kindness, His mercy towards me, I can very easily find myself grumbling, And not necessarily against the Lord. might be against a particular situation or a particular person or whatever it might be. And I think what we will see as we walk through the remainder of this text is, is how the Lord deals with that kind of people And what ultimately, what ultimately he's inviting those kind of people into. And so if you're anything like me, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but if you're anything like me, this text will be readily applicable to our day-to-day life. It won't be something that you'll need six years from now, two weeks from now. You might need it before you leave the theater. (laughs) And so let's keep reading. The people of God are quick to forget His presence, and they are quick to doubt His provision. And in verse 4, this is what God says to Moses in light of this grumbling. He says, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And so God tells Moses what he's going to do, and he tells Moses to deliver this news. So in verse 9, this is what he says. Moses said to Aaron, "'Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, "'Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling.' And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord said to Moses, "'I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel.'" Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And of course, everything happens according to God's Word, right? What happens? That evening, quail appear, and they eat, they feast upon the meat that is provided for them. And in the morning, it tells us that this bread, this flaky bread, appears in the morning with the dew. And so God, in response to the grumbling of the people of Israel, rather than being upset, rather than being impatient, rather than being angry, says, you know what? I've heard it, and I'm going to step into it, and I'm going to remind you. I'm going to do something in such a way that you will know that I am God. And so listen, the people of Israel, God's people, are historically, as we can see, historically a grumbling people, a people that are quick to complain, a people that are quick to doubt His presence with them, a people who are quick to doubt His ability to provide for them. And yet God, because He is a God of grace, because He is a God of kindness, looks over the offense. To care for His people. To meet their needs. To provide for them. To be present with them, right? What is it that happens before any of the food comes to them? He appears in His glory. His presence is there. And all of Israel's eyes are turned to that glory. And so while the people of God have historically been a people quick to grumble, quick to complain, quick to forget. God is historically a God of grace, a God of kindness, a God of mercy, a God who gives abundantly more than we have any right to ask for, right? Isn't it funny that so often, like, people want to go to the Old Testament to discredit this God, To say that He's only a God of anger, only a God of judgment, only a God of whatever word you want to use. And yet if we read the actual stories, we see so clearly time and time again that He bears offense and yet extends kindness, invites us into His grace, invites us into relationships. This God, in spite of their grumbling, shows His great grace. Now, I said just a moment ago that this exodus is our story. So there's a couple things we need to know. One, if God's people have historically been a people quick to grumbling, quick to forgetting, quick to dismissing the kindnesses of God in our past because of the circumstances in our future, then, then guess what that means? That means that you and I are quick to grumble, are quick to forget, and are quick to dismiss the grace of God in our past because of what is happening in our present. It's not just me, right? Otherwise, I feel very alone. (laughs) We're quick to do that. And yet... If we are historically that kind of people, we can find rest in, hope in, wonder at the God who has historically been a God of grace, who historically gives in spite of the fact that so often we complain, who out of His grace provides in spite of the fact that just a few moments later we could be found forgetful. Like that that's just the kind of God He is. And here's what's wild, right? I think last week we, we talked a lot about how there's this wonderful deliverance in the crossing of the Red Sea that, that God works, right? It's, one theologian would say that if the resurrection is the pinnacle of the New Testament, then the crossing of the Red Sea is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. And we talked about how those two events relate to each other. Right? That that God in Jesus walks us through an even deeper sea, right? The sea of his judgment. And he delivers us into his kingdom unscathed, right? And he crushes Satan in our rear view. And that when we're baptized, we're saying we've been joined to Jesus in that. In the same way, brothers and sisters, in the same way, God is present and He is providing in a, in a unique and marvelous way in this text. Make no mistake. Right? There's a lot of events in the Old Testament that I'm like, man, I, like, I wish I was there. I wish, I wish I could see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It would be so reassuring, right? And surely I wouldn't be like those Israelites. And there's there's some temptation with that here too like I I want to see the Lord miraculously provide. I want to have nothing and have bread appear out of thin air, quails appear out of thin air, water from the rock in chapter 17. And yet in the same way that God has done something far more marvelous in Christ in the crossing of the Red Sea, he's done something far more marvelous in Christ in His provision of sustaining food for you and for me. You see, um, if you're familiar with the Bible, um, there's this wonderful exchange that Jesus has where He's talking about who He is and what He's come to do. He's trying to explain it for people. And in one of them, this is what He says, He says, I am the bread of life. If you take and if you eat of me, you're not going to hunger anymore. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is that what he has come to do in his time, in his ministry on earth, is to provide something for his people. That they could not provide for themselves, right? Israel is in the wilderness. They can't, right? There's, they're not gonna till the soil, plant some plants, and all of a sudden become sustainable as a people in this wilderness. They can't, right? They're not gonna dig deep enough that they can hit water. It's not gonna happen. And yet, God provides, and He provides in such a way that it sustains this people for what we read was. Forty years. For some, in that congregation of Israel, the remainder of their lives, they were provided for day by day by day. Not because they gathered extra, not because they kept some aside and rationed it well, but because the Lord, every morning, provided new bread. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something that we need that we can't obtain on our own, and that is what Jesus came to provide, and that is what Jesus came to satisfy us with, that our hunger would be satisfied, like that the grumbling in our proverbial stomach, our spiritual stomach, if you will, would be satisfied forever And that's what he accomplished when he lived the life that we couldn't live, and then died the death that we deserve to die in our place, and then rose in victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. That thing that we were always chasing, that, that way of making ourselves right with God, that way of settling the debt between us that is always on our backs if we're... Whether we're aware of it or not, He came for that purpose. And so that when we relied on that work, on His work of redemption, on His payment for our sins, that we would be satisfied, that we would finally feel full, that we wouldn't keep trying to cram that emptiness with all kinds of different things that don't satisfy With stale bread and bitter water. That's why Jesus says, "I'm I'm I'm the bread of life." But you know, much like, much like last week, we recognize that we experience God's salvation in an even greater sense through Jesus. And God gave us baptism, reminding us that we've passed through the deeper waters of God's judgment by the work of Christ, and we've been delivered to new life on the other side. This week, we recognize that we experience God's provision in an even greater sense through Jesus, that we don't need food for the body as much as we need food for our soul, as much as we need to be sustained in spirit. And for that, God gives us communion to remind us that Jesus is our bread of life and our living water. That His body broken and His blood shed are sufficient for the real need of God's people. That more than we need food, we need exodus from sin. We need escape from slavery. And we need sustenance for the road ahead. You see, our journey through life is not unlike a journey through a wilderness. And we tend not to think of it that way, especially living in America. Because here, literally every need you could ever possibly want filled is available on a shelf within a mile. And so it's easy to think, It's easy to think that if we have need, that it can be bought, that it can be purchased, that it can be satisfied in the wilderness. And yet we need to see those storefronts, and we need to see our bank accounts, and we need to see our careers, and we need to see our families for what they are, wilderness. And what we need in the wilderness... Is not more wilderness. It is satisfying bread that can only be delivered through one person, namely Yahweh. That is what you and I need. And listen, I. I I don't want to make light of the anxieties of the wilderness because they're real, right? Let's give the people of Israel some credit here. It is a dire situation. These are people that are used to, like I said earlier, having the grains in their store. They're used to being able to look at land that is harvestable, right? Living close to a river, a source of water, These are all things that are not, these are not luxuries. These are necessities for life. And so, make no mistake, it's real anxiety. They're not just whiners, okay? Although I guess in some sense they are. I know that there are real longings and real things that we think we need. And Jesus, like Yahweh in Exodus 16, is inviting you to find real satisfaction. So rather than wandering through the desert, looking for something that you're never going to find in that place, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden from the journey in the wilderness. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will sustain you. He says, I'm the living water, right? We just read it. And if you come to me, then not only will you have living water for you, but living water will flow out of you to others. Like that God so amply provides for our need, that God so amply gives of Himself to us that not only would we be filled, but that it would spill off into others that it would fill other people around us. And so rather than walking into every situation and every place that we go to, looking for something to fill a need for us, we might actually go into places going, I don't know what to do with all of this. There is so much Christ in me. There is so much satisfaction in Him, in me, that there's nothing but for that to overflow. Like that that's the kind of life we've been called into. And that's the life that we're missing out on when we're grumbling about the wilderness instead of looking to the ample provision that God has made. And that's ultimately what this is, what this text is. It's an invitation of God for the people to trust in Him. Right, That's what He says in verse 4. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. He's saying, look, I'm I'm doing something here. I'm working in these people. Yes, they're dependent upon their agrarian yearly cycle. Yes, they're dependent upon their stores of grain. Yes, they're dependent upon their close to the river dwelling, all of those things. I'm I'm inviting them in the lack of those things to find sustenance and sustaining grace in me. And so listen, brothers and sisters, any wilderness that we're walking through and any lack that we may proceed Perceive is ultimately an invitation from the Lord to find our satisfaction in Him. He's saying, I'm doing something in you. I am working in you to accomplish my good purposes, not only in you, but through you as my people. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we are given an entirely different posture um, to walk in before the Lord. And this is, this is wonderful. Uh, and this is ultimately where I want us to, to land as far as takeaways go. This is where we get just ultra practical. Two things. In Christ, in Christ, we can turn our grumbling into petition. One is acceptable and glorious and good, and one is sinful and Christ-forgetting. But you see, when we, when, we, <laughs> when we are grafted into God's family through Jesus, God doesn't say, look, okay, you've got everything. I don't want to hear any whining. Do you see what I did for you? I gave up my son for you. So if you could just please be quiet while we wait this thing out, you'll be in glory soon enough, right? Like the dad to the kid in the back of the car, daddy, I want a snack. No, just be quiet. We'll be home soon. That's not God. No, no. In Philippians chapter 4, this is what we're invited to do. We can turn our grumbling into petition. This is what it says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And get this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what are we invited to do? We're invited, okay, we're going to experience the wilderness, There's no way out of that, not anytime soon, right? That is what this world is. And so we will walk from anxiety to anxiety. We will walk from perceived lack to perceived lack. That's going to happen. We're going to feel it. And so what's our response, brothers and sisters? In Christ, it's not grumbling, but it's petition. It's praying to the Lord. It's an invitation to trust Him. It's an invitation to say, God, this is what I feel like I need. This is what I want. This is what I don't understand. And I'm going to trust You because I know that You're a God who provides for His people. That's who You are. And what does it say? Happens. When we present our anxious request to Him, what do we get back? We get peace from Christ. And you know what peace is? Peace is a soul that is satisfied, that's full, that has no lack, not because there's no lack out here, but because we've been filled with the peace of Christ in here. We can turn our petition, our grumbling, into a petition. We can see that opportunity, that moment when we're tempted to grumble, as an invitation of the Lord to trust in Him and to give it over to Him in our prayer. Because in every single wilderness, God has a purpose. Right? Like he, he, he made that very clear in Exodus 16, I'm, "I'm doing something. I'm working my glory out. It's going to be shown. You don't see it right now. You don't understand it right now. But that's what I'm doing. Well, we have the same promise in Christ this morning. First Peter chapter 1, verse three. through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And get this, in this you rejoice, though now, for a little while. You endure and have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is what God is doing. That is what He is up to in your life if you are in Christ. Like, that's the end game. Roll credits. That's what's happening. And so again, we're being invited to trust. We're being invited to turn our grumbling into petition, knowing that this is our God, the one who is guarding us by His own power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, though now, for a little while, you're grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith will will result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, Again, God, just grateful to be gathered together in your presence, grateful to know, God, that you are not only near us, not only around us, but that you dwell in us by your Spirit through the work of Jesus. And Lord, we know that so often we bring our grumbling and our complaints to the table. And God, thank you that you hear them. Thank you that you hear them and that you, by your power and your Spirit's work in us, turn them into petition. And that because of Jesus, you hear them and that because of Jesus, you work in them. And that because of Jesus, every bit of glory that you intend to accomplish in us and through us, will be accomplished because you are a faithful God. And so, Lord, we don't have any real response other than to praise you, other than to come to your table this morning and to say by our eating and to say by our drinking that you are the only thing that satisfies us in the wilderness. that You are the only thing that we can eat and drink of and be full for all eternity. How wonderful You are, how glorious You are to fill that cavernous hole in our hearts with Your grace, with Your glory, with Your kindness. May we never stop singing of it. May we never stop enjoying it. And may we never be ashamed to petition You for more when we feel like there's not enough. We pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.